good evening. Merry Christmas. It is uh, so good to be with you uh, this evening as we celebrate, um, as we gather together and celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus. And, and not just the birth of Jesus, but really the, the plan of God. Um, God's plan to, to save people. Um, his, his plan from the very beginning. And, and the, the key moment that this is, as we consider the significance of, of what Jesus has done for us. As we just heard from Luke 2 and, and the Christmas story, I just, again, struck by the wonder of this moment. That all of history has been leading to this moment. That, that God's plan to rescue humanity at long last has been put into action. And God announces that plan to the most unlikely of people, and that is these shepherds, these outcasts of society. And the words of the angels to these shepherds, I, I think, are some of the most well-known because we hear them over and over each and every Christmas. Uh, the, the beginning of, of the angels' words to the shepherds are, are so well-known. Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of good news. The message of Christmas is a message of good news. And what I want us to do tonight is just consider three brief ways how the message of Christmas is good news for us. The first is found in verse 10. Christmas is good news of joy. It is good news of joy. Christmas is this message of joy, not just for the, the people thousands of years ago, not just for the people of Israel, not even just for humanity, but it is joy for all of creation. Consider the words of the angels again in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. C.S. Lewis once wrote that joy is the serious business of heaven. And I think that's a helpful way of, of thinking about the significance of what is taking place in the heavens even now, before the throne of God. There is joy and worship. When the angels appear at Christmas... They, they, they come, and we see this moment where actually the, the joy of heaven spills over onto the earth. It washes over the earth, and, and we're supposed to get caught up in the joy of the heavens. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of, picture of what pictures of what heaven is like, but, but one of the pictures that we do have in Revelation 4, Revelation 5, makes it very clear that, that heaven is a place of joy. It is a place of worship. It's the sole industry of heaven to gather before the throne of God and to worship God in joy for what he has done and for who he is. But perhaps significantly, as we look at Christmas, the Apostle Peter actually tells us that the joy of heaven is one that's filled with this anticipation. There's anticipation. First Peter tells us that the angelic hosts, they knew that God had a plan to save humanity, to restore his creation, and yet God hadn't filled them in on the details. And so the, the, angel, the angels of heaven, they knew God had a plan, but they didn't know what that plan was, and so they longed to look in, to, to see the mystery of how God was going to save people. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says that God actually reveals this to humanity through the prophets. And through his son, Jesus Christ, instead of to the angelic hosts. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it was revealed to them, the prophets, 
that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Can you imagine the, the anticipation surrounding Bethlehem in that moment millennia ago? Heaven is this place of joy, but it's also this place of, of great expectation. The angelical host, they know that God is someday going to save a broken creation from the curse of sin, from the curse of death, from the curse of disease, but they didn't know when. And now, in this moment, at Christmas, at long last, the time has come. Galatians chapter 4 actually tells us that at Christmas, the fullness of time had come. And God sent forth his son, born of a woman, so that we might receive adoption as sons. On Christmas, God sends these angels to announce the birth of his son, the fullness of time. The, the moment, the fulcrum of all of human history centers on this moment. For millennia, the angels have, have waited with bated breath for God to reveal his plan to his creation. Can you imagine the joy on the lips of the angels in this moment as God at long last has revealed his plan to save humanity? And that plan means that God himself, the king, the creator himself, has come to earth to save it. Christmas is indeed a, a, a good news of, of joy, and it's because in Christmas, we see God's plan at long last revealed. A couple weeks ago, I, I had the opportunity to do some teaching in, in West Africa. And one of the things that we talked about while we were there, while I was there, was the story of God. That God has this, this plan from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible to save humanity. And, and all of Scripture gradually reveals this plan. And we've got to the moment of the cross. And we get to this moment where Jesus has come to earth and, and lives this perfect, sinless life. And then he offers himself up on the cross in our place. And one of the, the pastors I was meeting with said, this is, this is beautiful, but why? Why did God wait for thousands of years to send his son? After all, we, we look at the book of Ephesians, and, and Ephesians tells us that, that this was God's plan from before the foundation of the world. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that moments after sin enters into the world, God already has a plan, has already announced a plan on how he's going to save his creation. Why did God wait so long for millennia to send his son? The answer is simply that God is sovereign, he's wise, and he is good. In his wisdom, in his goodness, in this completely good, benevolent rule over all of his creation, God waits to send Jesus. I don't think I can overemphasize the importance of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and this phrase, the fullness of time. It's crucial for us as we understand the plan of God because it reminds us that God is fully and completely in charge. 
And that first Christmas, just like everything else, happened exactly according to God's plan. Exactly how he intended it to happen. Exactly when he wanted it to happen. For the last week and a half, uh, we have had our kids' Christmas presents under the tree. Uh, my wife wrapped them one day while our oldest was at school, and he comes home, and he instantly notices that there are now presents under the tree. And the next morning before school, I noticed that he had, he had organized all of the gifts based off of who they were for. He put them in piles and, and put them back under the tree. The next morning, he did the exact same thing. I guess he just wanted to double-check his work. The next morning, the exact same thing. Throughout the last week and a half, we've seen kids messing with these presents, and they've done a really, really good job of not opening them. They've just been fiddling with them. I guess there's one gift bag that one of them keeps trying to, to look in and, and move the, the tissue paper so they can see what their present is. There's this anticipation for Christmas. And that anticipation it builds our longing, it builds our joy, and when the time finally comes, that anticipation spills into this even greater joy. And if that is true of temporary Christmas presents, how much more is it the case for the anticipation for the fullness of time? How much more is it the case for God's plan that has been hidden for ages that is now at long last revealed? Christmas is the good news of joy because at Christmas, at long last, we see the, the moment upon which all of human history centers. God made flesh, the infant Jesus, the fullness of time has come. Christmas is good news of joy. It's also good news of hope. At Christmas, we see that there is an unfathomable gift of hope. At Christmas, God says he's going to meet our greatest need, and he's going to satisfy our deepest longings. Consider the declaration of the angel in verse 11 from Luke chapter 2. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's significant that the first description of Jesus out of the angel's mouth as he's talking to the shepherds is that Jesus is a savior. And in describing Jesus as a savior, the Bible is, is making a claim about what our greatest need is. It is to be saved. Of course, the, the question might follow, what exactly do we need to be saved from? And we find the answer at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 tell us that, that God has created humanity to dwell with him, to enjoy life with him forever, to actually rule over his creation alongside of him. Humanity is God's crown jewel of his creation. They are created to be kings and queens through whom God is going to rule over his creation. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3, and we have a stunning act of rebellion that humanity chooses to reject God, reject his plan, and rebel against him. And as a result of this broken relationship with God, Genesis 3 tells us that death enters into God's creation, and not just death, but also broken relationships 
and futility in work, a life of hardship and pain and more. And yet in the midst of all of this description of the, the brokenness that, that comes because of rebellion against God, God also gives a stunning promise. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says this, I will put enmity between you, the devil, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, for he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This moment... Moments after humanity rebels against God, God says, I have a plan to fix this. And this is going to mean that there is enmity between Satan, the serpent, and between humanity. And it will one day culminate in this moment where the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, will bruise, crush the head of the serpent. There's a promise here that God will one day fix his creation caused by the brokenness of sin, and it's going to come through the offspring of the woman. And then immediately after that, if you're reading Genesis from the beginning to the end, immediately after Genesis 3, there's this promise of this offspring of the woman who is going to be used by God to bring about the, the, the fulfillment of his plan. We actually encounter in Genesis 4, offspring. And we're like, well, maybe, maybe these are the ones who are going to fix God's broken creation. And one of them's named Cain, and the other one's named Abel. And we soon see as we read the Bible that, no, they're not the ones who are going to fix God's broken world. One of them is murdered. The other one is a murderer. Genesis 4, Genesis 5 tell us that evil spreads across the face of the planet. That death reigns. And as we read through Genesis, we have example after example, person after person, who is a seed of the woman, and yet they are not able to take away the affliction of this life. The same is true in the book of Exodus, the next book of the Bible. God even calls a nation to himself. He says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests, and yet they also choose to rebel against God. The whole Old Testament is filled with people who follow the footsteps of rebellion against God, laid down by our ancestors, Adam and Eve. The gap between God and humanity is unfathomably great. But the words of the angel tell us that this child will be difference. In a world where it is impossible for humanity to dwell with God, God instead comes to dwell with humanity. And where all of humanity is followed in the footsteps of Adam and Eve when they said in the garden, not your will, God, but mine, this child will say in a garden, not my will, but yours. This child is a savior. And because of that, there is hope. Christmas tells us the good news of hope, that God's plan to save humanity at long last has come. There's one 
at least one more word of good news from the Christmas story. Christmas is not just good news of joy, it's not just good news of hope, it's also good news of peace. Notice the words of the angels in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on peace among those, or on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. For millennia, God had promised his people peace. Centuries before Jesus, God actually said that there will one day be a son who, when he is born, will bring about peace on earth. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Later in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah actually reveals how God is going to accomplish this peace, how this son, this prince of peace, will bring peace to us. Isaiah 53 verse 5, he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Peace with God, peace with others is possible because of the birth of Jesus. And because this Jesus would willingly give himself up for the sake of others. And because Jesus offers himself up for the sake of others, this peace isn't temporary. It isn't shaky. It isn't just glossing over this festering issue. It's not something that will one day fall through. The beautiful promise of Isaiah actually tells us what this peace is like that is established by this son. In Isaiah 54, verse 10, God is speaking to his people and he says this, For the mountains may depart, and the hills might be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. If you wonder if lasting peace is possible, God says, look at the mountains, look at the hills, and even if those are destroyed, even if those disappear, even if those are swallowed up by the seas, my promise, my covenant, my commitment of peace to you through my Son will never depart. That's the good news of Christmas. That through Jesus, peace with God is possible. No wonder the hosts of heaven cry out glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or maybe to put that last part a different way, peace with those who will recognize him as
This Christmas, don't miss the good news of this moment. This moment that is good news of joy. Good news of hope. Good news of peace. In Jesus, God's long-promised plan has been fulfilled. There is good news for those who would come to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you, in your grace, in your mercy, in your wisdom, had a plan. And that in the fullness of time, you sent your Son that you might fix a broken creation. And God, as we tonight think about the moment where Jesus came and the fullness of your plan arrived, we ask that you would use this moment to stir up our affections for you, increase our faith in the promises that you have made, Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.